0: are continuing on our sermon series on the life of King David, and just a couple of uh, points that I want to make. First of all, when I wrote this sermon series, which was back in June, um, I wasn't counting on taking a week off because of Irma, and so I had to do a little juggling when I did the series, and so from last week to this week, we're really fast forwarding in the life of David, and I'll get to that in a moment in explaining that. But a point that I'm going to make later on in the sermon, some of you may make a connection with something that's been going on in the last week or two in the news. And I have to tell you, I wrote this series back in June. And I think that the point that I wrote back then is really a timeless point, even though some of you are going to make a connection now. So I just want to plant that seed now. And when you hear that, you might say, oh, he just wrote that. Now, I wrote this back in June, just so you understand that. The point is a timeless point. It's a principle of the Lord that comes out of his word. And so, um, going back to what we talked about last week, and and fast-forwarding. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath. And David defeating Goliath, he was still really a young boy in many ways. You know, he tried to put on Saul's armor, and it didn't fit, making the point that he's still young and he's still small, probably middle school or early, early high school years, maybe. And the week before that, first Samuel 16, he was anointed as king. So we covered first Samuel 16, first Samuel 17, and we're jumping forward. But let me tell you what transpired in the interim time. And what changed in the interim time. David was anointed king by Samuel. And then, as he was a shepherd boy during that time, because he still continued to be this shepherd boy, he developed certain skills that the Lord would use continually, both in the immediate future and in the distant future. For example, he taught himself to play the lyre, which is like a stringed instrument, a guitar maybe. That he would use in the courts of Saul the king. And probably began to write songs. Songs of praise and songs of prayer to the Lord. Because he had plenty of time in the wilderness to begin to cultivate this relationship with the Lord. That when he was anointed king and we're told in the scripture that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and filled him, he was already predisposed because he had begun to develop his relationship with the Lord. While he was in the wilderness as a shepherd boy, he probably worked on his skill using the sling, which then he would use to kill the giant Goliath. And so as he's developing these various skills and his depth in his relationship with the Lord, he kills Goliath, He's brought into the king's court to play the lyre to comfort Saul because we're told in 1 Samuel 16, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Saul had been disobedient to the Lord. He walked away from following the Lord's way. And so he was tormented and he sought some way of finding comfort. And someone suggested there's a shepherd boy And he plays this wonderful instrument and he sings praises to the Lord and that comforted Saul. And so he embraced David. He embraced David as someone who played this instrument. He embraced David because David killed Goliath, the nemesis of Israel. And then as David came into his court, Jonathan, his son, embraced David. And David became Jonathan's best friend. So David became a part of the household. You know, I don't know if you had any friends of your kids that just became a part of the household. You know, but became one of the family, in effect. He was beloved of the household. But I'm sure the rumors started. The rumors about David being anointed king. And Saul already had a troubled spirit. So the paranoia started, and he became suspicious of David. That David being in the court, maybe all of his motives weren't pure. And so eventually Saul turned against David. And eventually, even more than that, he tried to kill him. And So David had to flee. And when we run into him in the story that we had read this morning, he had been on the run for ten years. See, sometimes when we read stories from the Bible, we don't know timetables. You know, sometimes we think, you know, oh, you know, this happens and this happens and this happens. And it's all a short period of time. You know, David is like, you know, in many ways, he's like the fugitive. I don't know how many of you saw the fugitive. He's like Harrison Ford, okay? Tommy Lee Jones is after him. Only the problem is, is that it's not in that short of a time period. It's over ten years that David's been on the run. He's wanted, yes. He's wrongly accused, yes, just like the fugitive. But it's years and years later. On and off during that time, Saul continues to fight the Philistines. And when he's not fighting the Philistines, he's after David. So this is one of those times, and we're told he has 3,000 men. What does David have? Well, during this period of time, while David's on the run, David, being the attractive person that he is, the leader that he is, he attracts other men around him. And David's famous. He killed Goliath. And maybe even the rumor was out that he's going to be the next king because he was anointed king. So there's some guys who were probably also on the run, other fugitives. And they said, hey, this guy might have a future, and he's a leader. Maybe we ought to saddle up next to him. And so he attracts some unsavory characters to go along with him, his gang, so to speak. Okay? So that's what David has. David has his small band with him. Saul comes out with 3,000 guys looking for him. That's what's going on here. And David and his group are hiding in a cave. Now, this story is not only a powerful story. If you really catch it, it's kind of a funny story. Because what happens? Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. This is kind of a vulnerable moment for Saul. And so, David's guys say, What a break! You want to talk about the Lord's hand? What a gift! What a deal! Hanging out with David was the right move. So, what does David do? You know, it's interesting is there's several ways that David could have reacted. There's several ways that David could have understood what was going on. And it's really, really interesting, (coughs) because what these men do is they actually want want to do something that would end up blaming God for something that was wrong, which we do from time to time. They say, look, God gave him into your hand. They want to say, this is God's doing. A justified murder. Because God set it up. It's amazing how we want to do that to God. David doesn't fall into that trap. He doesn't fall into the trap of bad counsel. Allegedly, godly counsel. David doesn't follow his own feelings. Can you imagine? I mean, what might be going through his mind at this point? I served this guy. I did all that I could to help him in his kingdom. I loved his son. I was a part of his family. I've been on the run for ten years. He fought his own feelings. And he didn't react to it. David chose to do the right thing. Not the easy thing, but the right thing. And that's what this situation is about. He sought to discern the Lord's will for this situation, even though it seemed for most people a no-brainer. He sought to discern God's will. And the reason is is that David, at this point in his life, sought to fear God over other people. I want to jump to the Gospel reading for a second because that's there for a reason. Did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, fear God or, translation, fear the one who can kill body and soul, not just the one who can kill the body. Let me tell you how that one works. See, we tend to fear other people more than God. We tend to think about what others are going to think about us, particularly those immediately around us, the ones we want to be popular with, more than we do the Lord. Jesus puts it another way at another time. He says, seek God's glory, not man's glory. How often do we consider what the people around us are saying or what the people around us might think about us as opposed to what God would say in a particular situation? Are we trying to please them or are we trying to please the Lord? Are we living for their pleasure or are we living for God's pleasure? How do we prioritize our lives? How do we order our lives? It's so easy to fall into the trap of ordering our lives according to other people's expectations or desires or values. Not God's way. According to the world's way. The world's values. And David's men even throw in, look what God has done. Because that might make it sound even better. God has orchestrated this. God made this happen. And David says, wait a second, I gotta think this one through. Did God really set this up? He might have. But does God want me to kill Saul? I gotta think this through. Scripture says, In Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, says the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, it's so easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, this is what I think God would have me do because it makes sense to me. Or this is what the world says, and that sounds right. So it must be what God would have me do instead of saying. What would his words say? What would bear his fruit in this situation? What is God's wisdom? See, Scripture says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Which is why Jesus said, fear the one who can kill the body and the soul and throw them into hell. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We are always seeking God's wisdom. And so David says, in effect, God's wisdom is that this man is in authority. God put him there. This is the Lord's anointed, And far be it from me, To kill the Lord's anointed because the the Lord has placed him there in authority. And the reality today is we have an authority problem. And because we have an authority problem, we have a respect problem. And I'm not just talking about the last couple of weeks. I'm talking about in general. See, when we put God first, it puts things in order. That we need to respect God's authority first, the authority in the family, and then the authority in our society. Let me read to you what Peter writes in his epistle. And remember, he walked around with Jesus. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. See, when we get things in order... When we fear God, we're going to honor those in authority around us. That's what's going to happen. We may not agree with them. We may not even like them. That's not the point. You still respect them. Just like you may not like your parents at times. I remember when I didn't. And my kids might not have liked me at times. I can understand that. Sometimes. But God places authorities over us for a reason. And He's our authority. And Paul writes in Romans, Romans chapter 12, Let love be genuine. This is the application of the gospel. And then he's unfolding this application of the gospel. He gets to chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Interesting. As he's talking about the application of the gospel, which is what he writes in Romans 1 through 8. And then he talks about genuine love. Loving God and loving others. And what that looks like. He talks about respecting and submitting to the authorities and being subject to them. And that's why David goes on to say, God placed this man here. I don't agree with what he's doing. Paul didn't agree with what the governing authorities did in his time. He still respected them and submitted to them. The governing authorities in Jesus' day ended up killing him. But God has bigger plans. It doesn't always work out the way we want. But you still respect. You can challenge, but you still respect. And that's what David did. Saul was vulnerable. David had an opportunity. But David refused to take advantage of the opportunity. In fact, what he did is he said, I'm not perfect. I'm a dog. I'm a flea. I'm not perfect. Saul's not perfect. I'm not going to be judge, jury, and executioner. See, the problem is when we don't agree with someone, we want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Especially people that are in authority today. Because we have an authority problem. The reality is that we're called to respect authority. Just like David did. And it's a challenge. David put himself at risk in doing so. That's what he did. He was willing to be vulnerable. And we're just called to be faithful. We're just called to trust. Sometimes it's distasteful business. This was distasteful to David. He had to stand up against his men. He had to place himself vulnerable to Saul, who was trying to kill him. It's not easy. In fact, David takes it a step further. He seeks to be reconciled to the man who's trying to kill him. He doesn't just let him live. He puts himself in a vulnerable place. He puts his men in a vulnerable place. Men who thought the Lord had just vindicated them. He steps out of the cave and he says, Saul, I just let you go. I've never tried to do any harm to you. I just want to be reconciled. Going back to Romans 12, let love be genuine. Let me read to you from verses 14 and following. This is right what David is living into. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's what David chose. That's what David chose. David said, not my place, God's place. Live peaceably with all as much as it depends on you. I've got to choose the peaceable way. I'm not the one that's going to bring down the wrath. That's God's place. My place is to forgive. And not blame God for this bad situation. Because others make bad decisions. And not blame God when an opportunity presents itself that's expedient that is not God's way. Trust God. Trust God and look for his hand, and look for the wise decision amidst whatever it is you're presented. It doesn't always go your way. That's not the point. You don't choose what's expedient. You trust him. You know, what if you were to go out from here today? Let's say you took a walk on the beach. And you came across a duffel bag. No one's around. You came across a duffel bag filled with money. Would you say, look what God did. He rewarded me for going to church today. Or would you try to find the person that owned the money? Interesting quandary. About 27, 28 years ago, when I lived in San Antonio, I was an assistant at a church there and struggling as an assistant at a church there financially. Had a young family. I was uh, playing racquetball at a club. It's a decent club. I got a great deal as a clergyman. The San Antonio Spurs basketball team did their pre-camp there, worked out there. And I was, in the, <coughs> I was in the locker room after playing racquetball one day, and everybody was gone. And I went into the showers, and there, hanging on the hook, was this huge gold Rolex. I didn't particularly want it, but man, I thought about selling it. And I thought, that's not right. So I went to the front desk and I said, here's my name, here's my card. If no one claims this. (laughs) So I came in the following week, stopped at the front desk. I said, did anyone claim that Rolex? What Rolex? I was so angry. I was so angry. The expedient thing to do, what I could have told myself, God gave me that Rolex. That's what I could have said. I did the right thing. It didn't pay off. And I could have been really ugly about it. But I don't know which manager or which clerk took it or what they did with it. I'll never know. Not in this life. I can't wait till heaven. But I didn't finish the passage. Let me finish the passage. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Know if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, this will heap burning coals on their head. I love that passage. Because what I did is I just kept going into the club and being nice to people. And I hope the person that took it saw me and they thought, I feel really bad. And maybe the Holy Spirit convicted them. Maybe it changed them. I don't know. I don't know. But it's not on me, it's on them. See, and we forget that. You know, Jesus was wrongly accused, and he went to the cross. Because something far bigger was going on than him simply being wrongly accused. He went there and paid a price for us. So that we could have salvation. So that he might be our Savior and Lord. So that we have access to the Holy Spirit. So that we can exercise wisdom. So that we can... Exercise patience so that we can respect authority when we don't want to. That's the gift. See, the challenge is not to be popular, not to succumb to our feelings. Not to listen to ungodly counsel, but to trust Him. Trust Him for our salvation and for what we choose. Let's pray. God, sometimes we can't always see clearly what's going on around us. And sometimes we get frustrated or even angry with the wrong that goes on around us. Sometimes we get frustrated with the leadership that seems ungodly, misdirected. And yet, Lord, the call above all is to trust you, to take the witness of godly people in your word, to see the cost that your son paid because of ungodly leadership. And yet he trusted you and your plan and purpose is so much larger than what we can see in the circumstances around us. And when the people around us might be wrong, to just trust you. Lord, help us to see the gift of your son, to trust in the power of your Holy Spirit and to trust you in all things and to seek those wise decisions. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.